2 Corinthians 5.17, let's read together from the Amplified Version while you're standing. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is restoration to favor with God. Come on, somebody. Woo! Everybody take your seats, please. Beautiful. Beautiful time in his presence, beautiful time to be together. Good to see you today. Oh, we're so blessed. We're overcoming. Now, very rarely in Scripture, very rare, do we find in one singular passage God's plan of the ages. But here in verse 19, in one single Scripture, we find the plan of God from the ages. It says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. God was in Christ reconciling. This is God's plan for the ages right here. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank God for Jesus. From the very beginning, God's plan was that through his sacrificial love, he would redeem fallen man. By putting Jesus to death in man's place. Defeating death by raising Christ again. And removing the enmity between God and man. Thus reconciling man in relationship to himself. That's the plan of God from the ages. That by his love, his great love. His love that none of us are worthy of. God would redeem or buy back fallen man by putting Jesus to death in man's place. It should have been us on that cross. Defeating death by raising Christ again. Removing the enmity, the hostility between God and man. Thus reconciling man in relationship to himself. Christ Jesus was God's agent in bringing about this reconciliation. No religious order, no system of religion could accomplish it. It took death on the cross 
in order for it to come to pass. So in Christ coming to earth, knowing that his Father wanted all men to be saved, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Heavenly Father wanted all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Christ gave himself fully to that end. His entire life was ordered by his objective. There was nothing casual or careless about Christ's life. There was never an idle word or wasted energy. Christ was on God's business. Luke chapter 2 and verse 49 tells us. Christ himself said to his parents, How is it that you seek for me? Did you not know I would be about my father's business? Everything Jesus did and said was of extreme significance. As he completely understood that the ultimate purpose of his life was to redeem the world for his father. That was the ultimate purpose. Therefore, it is of great importance, church, that we observe the way in which Jesus achieved his objective. It's so important that we understand and we observe his strategy for world conquest. I want to repeat that. We must observe how he achieved bringing about the plan of the ages, the plan of his father. His entire life was ordered around that plan. His entire life, there was nothing casual. Everything was Everything was laid out in perfection, in perfect timing, in perfect sequence. There was never a mistake made. And it's important for us to understand and observe the way in which Jesus achieved his objective, his strategy for world conquest. With his time on earth being short, his ministry, public life, of ministry was three and a half years. So with his time on earth being short, it was imperative that he conceive a strategy that would not fail in accomplishing his father's plan. And here it is. Here's the strategy. Listen up. When Jesus began his ministry, you have to go right to the beginning. When he began his ministry, he called 12 disciples to be his primary relational and ministry community. Twelve disciples to be his primary and his, his primary relational and ministry community. These men were untrained. They were rough around the edges. But Jesus chose to love them. He chose to teach them. He chose to pour himself into them. He chose to relate with them. Thereby, Jesus created the first small group. Jesus created the first small group. What's the strategy that Jesus took in order to achieve the objective? World conquest. He created a small group. From the outset, Jesus did not concern himself with programs to reach the multitudes. Listen to me. From the outset, from the beginning, Jesus did not concern himself 
to create programs, to reach the multitudes. He loved every person within those vast crowds. He loved every individual in those multitudes as he does today. But he realized the greatest task would be giving the multitudes the personal care they needed. Jesus realized the greatest task would be giving the multitudes the personal care they needed. So the Lord formed this small group of men knowing they would be key in reaching and caring for the multitudes after His departure. They were His strategy of winning the world to God and making disciples for God. They were His strategy of winning the world to God. If you miss everything else I say today, get that statement right there. They were the, the strategy. They were the, the, the means of winning the world to God and making disciples for God. That's why Jesus poured His very life, everything He had into them. While many others followed Him, even 70 disciples, we read in, in Luke chapter 10, even 70 disciples were, were sent out. So many followed Him, but it was this small group of 12 that Christ, by His very life, formed and transformed, who in turn went out, all but one, named Judas, went out and brought that life to a waiting world. Today we conclude our series, Renewing Our Cell Life, part five, and the final part of Renewing Our Cell Life. In conclusion, we once again ask the question, why cells? Why cells? Why small groups? Well, if that isn't enough, what I just preached, <laughs> I don't know what more I can say. That's the strategy Jesus chose. He's the head of the church. He's the example we follow. And while we love the multitudes and while we love the every person within the vast crowds and within the multitudes of people, we must take hold of, adopt the strategy of Jesus because once those multitudes are one to Jesus, they have to be cared for. They have to be discipled. They have to be brought up and raised up to be great men and great women for God. So why cells? Well, in the natural, a cell is the smallest structural and functional unit of living organisms, our cells and other living things included, that can sustain or that can exist on its own or that can sustain life on its own. A cell is the smallest structural and functional unit of living organisms, our cells and other living things included, that can exist on its own. Now, without sounding too scientific, listen to this. And I've really worked on this, tried to try to make it sound, you know, layman, in layman terms, not scientific. But it's not easy. But we did it. It's at the cellular level. It's at the cellular level of an organism where the processes occur that keeps the organism alive. It's at the cellular level of an organism where the processes occur that keep the organism alive. You're alive today because your cells and my cells 
are going through the process of keeping me alive. I went in and studied all about metabolism and the metabolic processes that take place in cells. It's it's mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. This is why the cell is called the fundamental unit of life. The cell is the fundamental unit of life. There are about 200 types of cells in the human body. 200 types of cells. We have red blood cells. I'm going to name a few. Red blood cells, skin cells, neurons, which are nerve cells, fat cells. We're going to stop right there. I'm not going to go any further. Most of us are not that interested in reproducing themselves. There's a few up in here that are wishing for more fat, but for the most of us, uh huh. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lose you in this message by preaching on fat cells. We're going to move on. All right. When it comes to the church. When it comes to the church, our modern culture often views cells or small groups merely as a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. This is how we fellowship. We come together. And indeed, there is is an element of fellowship, of edification that takes place in our small groups. But for the New Testament church, it was their fundamental way of life. It wasn't a program. It wasn't an add-on. For the New Testament church, it was their fundamental way of life, encompassing every area of their lives. Listen, church, their relationship with one another, their relationships to one another were critical to their pursuit of Jesus, were critical to their growth in Christ and their witness to the good news, their relationships with one another. In those small groups, it wasn't just a program that we got this set time and and we're going to keep this time and we all come together and we've done the deal. No, their relationships with one another, this, this took place in their small groups, were critical to their pursuit of Jesus, critical to their growth in Christ and their witness to the good news. So we're looking at the word cell, C-E-L. We've been looking at that one word over the last few weeks. We've been looking at each letter of cell. And we're forming an acrostic to help us grasp the why. Why? Why cells? Why small groups? C-E-L-L. C is for community. Community. E is for enabling. L is for life. Community, enabling, life. And today the final L, light. Light. L-I-G-H-T. And that's cell for us here at Nairobi Lighthouse Church. Light is one of the most prevalent themes throughout the entire Bible. It is a prevalent theme. It starts with God in Genesis chapter 1. We don't even get past the third verse in Genesis chapter 1 when light appears. 
God hovering over the darkness, over the unformed earth, when he speaks his first recorded words in the Bible, let there be light. And that theme of light continues right through the scriptures to the book of Revelation, where we are told that the new heaven and the new earth will be illuminated with God's glory, that no sun or moon will be needed to shine in the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. From Genesis 1-3 all the way through to Revelation 21, light, the theme of light, pervades, it prevails, it permeates, it's prevalent throughout the entire Bible. And we look forward to that day when our light, when we will receive the light from the face of the Son of God, the Lamb of God lighting up heaven. But until that day, we are to light our, let our light shine here on earth, in our world. Now, what does that mean, let our light shine? You know, from childhood, from kids' house, from Sunday school, we've been singing about this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. You know, the, 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 the Sunday school, song, we learned it. What does that mean? All right, let's go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians 2, 15 from the message says, Go out into the world uncorrupted a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Look at what it says. Go out into the world uncorrupted. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. What does it mean? Go out into the world uncorrupted first. To shine our light means, number one, live free of the world's culture. Live free of the world's culture. We as the people of God should live counterculturally. This should be our our motive. We should live counterculturally. In this day of growing complexity, the church often falls prey to the temptation to become sophisticated and complicated, to fit into the culture around us. I want your undivided attention as I close this series. This is so powerful for us as a church. This is so powerful for our small groups. This is so powerful for us as individuals. And particularly when we come together in our small group. This day of growing complexity, the church often falls prey to the temptation to become sophisticated, to become complicated, to fit into the culture around us. Somehow, church, listen to me, somehow, I don't know why, but somehow we feel the pressure to become relevant. To be relevant to the culture of this world. No, we will never be like the world. We are never to be like the world. We are to live counterculturally. Yes, we're to do everything we know to do to be able to present the gospel in a way that people can receive, but we are not going to 
compromise our stand or water our gospel down. Come on, we're going to let the light shine. We're going out into the world uncorrupted. One reason that we're taking we're taken in by this temptation is that many within the church, many within the church have sat under heavy teaching for years, building layer upon layer of knowledge with little or no corresponding lifestyle application. Now, we're not talking about this church, you see. We're talking about, you know, people in other churches. No, it's right here. We're starting. Come on, let's let this thing work in us. One reason we're taken in by this temptation to become sophisticated and complicated and to fit into the culture around us is because We've set year after year under heavy teaching. We've got notebooks upon notebooks. We've got all kinds of information. We've built layer, we've built layer upon layer of knowledge, but we have very little to no corresponding lifestyle application. God needs to change our mindsets to the reality that the truth is not truly learned until we live it. The truth is not really the truth until we live it, until it becomes a part of our lifestyle, until it's evident to everybody around us that the truth has set us free, that we're shining with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're not the same as the world. Our our Facebook entries are different from the world. Our text, our our life is different from the world. For example, being able to pass a theological exam, it makes no difference unless the truth has become real in your life. You can pass a theological exam and make the highest marks, but it makes no difference unless the truth has become real. You see, obedience to God's Word, not just an understanding of God's Word, but obedience to God's Word determines depth in the knowledge of truth. Not just understanding it, but obeying it. That's the determining factor in in deciding the depth in your life of the knowledge of truth. Every small group will be surrounded with neighbors and friends who are chasing after physical pleasures and selfish gain. Every small group will be surrounded by the culture of this world of people chasing after physical pleasures and selfish gain. But as individuals within that small group, within that core, we are commanded to live a different way, a simple way. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, here it is. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, it's not hard, church. It's not complicated. Let's not make it complicated. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get rid of all things in your life that's not Christ-like. It's not so hard. Yes, it's hard, but it's not hard. Yes, it's a challenge many times, but it's it's not a complicated message. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see, in this way we can live free of the world's culture. In this way, we can live free of the world's culture. John chapter 13, secondly, John chapter 13, verse 34. I give you a new commandment, Jesus said, that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you too should love one another. 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you keep on shining love or showing love among yourselves, if you keep on showing love among yourselves, to let our light shine, it means, number one, live free of the world's culture. Number two, live bound. Live free of the world's culture. Number two, live bound by love for Jesus and love for one another. Come on, we're to live free of the world's culture, live bound by love for Jesus and for one another. You see, we were not made to shine in the light. I want to repeat that. We were not made to shine in the light. God created each of us to let our little lights shine in the dark. We were not created to shine in the light. We were created to shine in the dark. And there's so much darkness surrounding us in the world. And do you know what pierces it? Do you know what pierces that darkness? It's people ignited with the love of God. You're so much in love with God. You're so much in love with Jesus and one another. That's what pierces the darkness. By this, Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples. I believe the greatest need in the church and the world today is to make disciples. It's discipleship. It's easy to gather a crowd and everybody's shouting, "Woohoo!" everybody. But to sit down and to begin to disciple and to form and to raise and to grow. And to pour yourself into someone, into others, because of your love for Jesus. This is what we're commanded to do. And your love for the person or for others. That's what pierces the, the darkness. I read this past week, this is an incredible study. I read this past week in World War II, during the blackouts in London. You should go online sometime and read about, perhaps you will remember it from your, from your school days and from history. But in, 19, in 1939, London, every night for five, for six years, every night London would be blacked out. Every house, every office building. There was absolute, all vehicles had Covers put over their lamps and only a small slit for a little bit of light to come out. They worked year after year. 300,000 volunteers came together and made black curtains for every home. And the government gave out black. See, what they were trying to do was to stop the German Luftwaffe, the bombing, and, and so that the, the bombers coming in that could not see where to drop their bombs. And so London was blacked out. It's a phenomenal thing. And people said they would walk out of their houses in the night and you could not see three, three feet in front of you, one meter. You couldn't even see your hand in front, hardly in some of those. It was so dark. 
And I read this week in World War II during the blackouts in London, pilots reported, listen, pilots reported that on a clear night, a single lighted match, a single lighted match, a matchstick lit could be seen for 32 kilometers from the air. One single light, one single lit match could be seen for 32 kilometers from the air. One of the most effective ways to shine our light and to show what the Lord is doing in our lives is through living together in community. Basic community, real community is where we share who we are, where we're connected, that sense of belonging, and where we have re- what we have received, who, who we are and what we have received by grace. This light-giving message must... It must not be prejudiced. It's applicable to all races, to all tribes, to all tongues. It is not optional. It must not be overly complicated. It's just one message, and that is turn from sin, turn to God, and believe in Jesus Christ. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Turn from sin, turn to God through Jesus Christ. Come on. Put your faith in Him. And finally, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick. And it gives light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. To shine your light means, number three, live ready. Live ready and live on mission. Live ready and live on mission. You're a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. At times it can seem like the darkness around us is deep. The darkness around us is never ending. covid economic pressures, political division. All of these things tear at our society. Family disunity, illness, personal emptiness. It tugs at the very core of so many people. But Jesus has come. And He will bring light into every darkness if He can find light shiners ready. Jesus will bring light into all that darkness if He can find light shiners ready. He's depending on us. John chapter 4, John chapter 1 verse 4 says, Life itself was in Him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I want to finish today by declaring that the darkness will not prevail. The darkness will not prevail. Light overcomes it, and Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. Therefore, every time the cell, think about the power of one match that has been lit that can be seen thirty over 30 kilometers from the air. What about a cell, a small group, having their, lit, their lamps lit, having their match lit, 
Listen, every time this small group speaks of Jesus or demonstrates the gospel by reaching out to those around them, that cell is shining the light into a dark world. The more we allow the Holy Spirit of God to move in us and the more we live according to God's will, the brighter we shine. Shining is some, something that cannot be forced. It happens naturally as a result of living like Jesus and reflecting His character to those around you. Shining is something that happens naturally as we live for Jesus and we reflect His character to those around us. There's no better way to reflect His character and shine bright than by reaching out and serving others. There's no greater way to, to reflect the character of God, of Jesus, and to shine, his, to shine bright than by reaching out and serving others. He is the light, and we are to be a light. We are to be His light. So together, we are Nairobi Lighthouse Church. And this is our vision. Sharing Jesus house to house. Celebrating Jesus in celebration services. Equipping believers to do the work of ministry. Reaching our world with the light of Christ. Many years ago, we were challenged to write our vision in 25 words. And this is our vision right here in 20, actually I think it's 26 words. And I want us to say it again. We are Nairobi Lighthouse Church, and this is our vision. Sharing Jesus. Celebrating Jesus in celebration services. Equipping believers to do the work of ministry. Reaching our world with the light of Christ. Can you give Him glory? Come on, that light is penetrating the darkness. And the darkness will not prevail. The darkness will not overcome it. You say, Pastor, things around me have been so dark. There's just so much darkness seeking to prevail. But I've just determined today, as an individual, and I'm reaching out now to embrace this even in my small group, I'm not going to allow myself to conform to the world's way of thinking. I'm not going to allow myself any longer to be intimidated by the, the culture around me. Pastor, I, I, I want my light to shine. There's areas in my life where I need to step up in my obedience to the Word of God. I understand it. I, under, I know what God has said, but I need to step up. I need... I need to clean the cover. I need to remove the cover. I need to get rid of that which is causing my light to grow dim. Let's pray. Come on. If you have that, if there's just areas God's dealing with you and you just know I need, I need to just move up higher into this, just lift your hand right now. Come on, small groups right as well throughout our church. Come on, we're not going to allow ourselves to be encumbered. We're not going to allow ourselves to be swayed. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I pray that you'll look into the heart of every one of us, God. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that you will minister to the hearts of every one of us, Lord. That our light will shine. We're living free of the world's culture. Lord, life has become so complex. We've fallen prey to the temptation of complication and sophistication and fitting into the culture around us. God, change my mindset. Let me live bound by the love for you and live bound for, by love for one another. Oh God, let me live ready. Let me live ready. Let me understand that I am to live on mission, that my life has a purpose. I want to fit in to see this plan of the ages continue to be fulfilled, oh God, in my place and my part. Thank you for using me, Father. Thank you for ministering to the very depths of my soul. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys. God bless you. I want to remind you, we're all coming together one week from today at Cells. Cell Sunday, one week from today. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go shine. Let's go shine.